The sermon text for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. Listen as I read God's word. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? <clears throat> Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of, of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much 
as they needed. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. As we come to the passage this morning, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. Lord, this morning we do ask that you would give us understanding. As we look at this passage and once again see your people in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of hard circumstances and as we think about our own lives and the difficulty and the challenges and the wilderness seasons that we experience, Lord, we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would show us who you are from this passage and that you would help our hearts to trust and believe. Lord, we love you and we want to be changed as we come to your word this morning. So we ask that you would do that by the power of your spirit in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We are continuing our message series in the book of Exodus. And uh, we're sort of in this middle section here. Exodus begins with the story of God leading his people out of Egypt. And then they come to Mount Sinai eventually. Uh, But sort of in the middle here, we see God's people as they're wandering in the middle of the desert. And that's the sort of this little mini-series that we're in, in the middle of this larger book. As we uh, began to sort of explore a little bit last week, one of the things that we see uh, as we just think about this is that we all experience seasons of the wilderness, We all experience seasons that feel like we're wandering through a desert wasteland. And it's never fun, it's challenging, it's hard, it's discouraging. We all experience these seasons. Either you have been in one of those before, or you are currently in one right now, or you will experience one in the future. That is what's true of every single one of us. But the good news that we've been seeing as we look at this passage here in the book of Exodus, as we sort of find ourselves looking at God's people in the wilderness, the, the good news, the counterintuitive reality that we see is that even though it, it, it seems counterintuitive, and even though it seems and, and it feels counterintuitive, uh, the wilderness seasons that we experience are actually a gift from God. The wilderness seasons that we experience, even though they may not feel like it in the moment, those seasons are a beautiful gift from God. And that's because God takes those wilderness seasons and he uses them for our good. We see that God has a purpose for his people as he leads them in and through the wilderness. God has a purpose. He's teaching. He's training his people in faith and obedience. And the wilderness can be a source of goodness in our lives because God can take it and make it turn out for our good. And so that's the good news that we see is that the the wilderness moments that we experience, as hard and as challenging as they are, they are a gift for us 
because of how God uses it to work in us and to work on us as we're in the wilderness. And so we're going to continue to look at this passage this morning, and we're going to see uh, how exactly it is that God uses uh, the wilderness. What is it that we learn from these wilderness moments? And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 16. We're going to begin looking at the text. And as we do, the first thing that we see here as we look at the text is this. We see the wilderness exposes what we truly love. When we find ourselves in wilderness seasons, the wilderness has the power to expose the things that we truly love. Look in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Very cheerful bunch of people. <laughs> Let's just remember where we are sort of in the, in the flow of the story of, of this book. We saw last week that God led his people out from the Red Sea. He delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, and he brought them to the desert. He brought them to the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that they traveled about for all of three days before they began to grumble and complain because they didn't have the resources that they needed. So they grumbled and they complained, and God made miraculous provision for the needs of the people. There was a, a, a large body of water that was undrinkable, it was tainted, and God gave Moses instruction for what to do, and when, when Moses followed the instruction of the Lord, the water became drinkable for the people. And so God made this miraculous provision for his people. We see then God leading his people in verse 27 to a place called Elam. There they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, so God leads them to a place where there's lots of water and there's fruit-bearing trees. Does that sound familiar? This, this, this is echoes of Genesis 1 with the Garden of Eden. So God leads his people out of the desert into this little sort of microcosm of Eden, this little Eden hotspot in the middle of the desert, and they stay there for a while. And then in our passage today, we see that God leads his people back into the desert, back into the wilderness. And as they come into the wilderness, we see the pattern that began last week that carries over once again. God's people experience difficulty, they experience challenge, and what happens? They grumble and they complain. So the people said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert basically to kill us, is what they say. Now just pause for a moment here and just, and just notice the revisionist history that's happening here. Just notice how distorted their memory of Egypt is. They're remembering Egypt far better than Egypt actually was. Now remember that the people were, the Hebrew people were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And they're less than three months removed from being owned as a possession by the Egyptian people. And they look back on Egypt and say, Egypt was pretty much great. At least we had food there. I mean, sure, we were slaves. Sure, we were uh, subjugated people who were cr created into a separate lower class of people. Sure, we were dehumanized and poorly treated, and they beat us, and they, and they inflicted us with harsh labor. Sure, they killed our babies. 
Sure, they threw our little baby boys into the Nile River in order to stop the growth of our population. But apart from that, it was pretty much great in Egypt. At least we had food to eat. Right? So you can see how bizarre and twisted their memory of Egypt really is. And it's like they have this sort of, they encounter difficulty and they have this strange form of homesickness. They want to go back to Egypt. And they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. So notice what they're saying here. If the Lord is going to kill us, we'd at least like it to be on our own terms. If God's going to kill us, we'd at least like it to be while we're experiencing some semblance of comfort. If God's going to kill us, we'd at least like it to be on a full stomach. We don't want to die in the wilderness starving. We would rather be in Egypt and have full stomachs than be killed by God there than to be killed in the wilderness. And so just remember that these people have watched God bring these 10 acts of judgment, these 10 acts of his justice onto the Egyptian people. But they have experienced firsthand the deliverance of God leading them out of Egypt parting the waters of the Red Sea, and they walked through on dry land. The Lord closed the waters, and he destroyed their greatest, fiercest enemy, delivered them, and then as they're complaining and grumbling in the desert, he provides water for them to drink. And they are now in the presence of God. Remember, they have the, they have the pillar of cloud. They have the pillar of fire that is God's very presence guiding them throughout the wilderness. And you see what they're saying is we would trade God's presence in the wilderness for food in Egypt. We would rather be back there and die there if it means that we could just have food to eat. So, so you see the, the choices that they're left with. Would we rather be hungry in the wilderness in the presence of God himself? Or would we rather be in Egypt where God's presence was not with us, but at least we had food to eat? And so what is clear from what we read about the people here is that their hearts are not inclined to love the Lord. Their hearts are not inclined to obey the instruction of the Lord. What the people want is they want God's stuff. We'd rather be back in Egypt where we can have food than to be in the wilderness where we have God's presence. And this is what these wilderness moments and these wilderness seasons, when we experience them, this is, this is what is brought to the front. In these wilderness seasons, we are confronted with the choice of whether we will treasure God or whether we will treasure God's stuff. In the wilderness, we're confronted day by day and sometimes moment by moment with the choice of will we treasure, will we love God, or will we love his stuff? And, and the question that we find ourselves asking or should be asking ourselves is, am I okay if I get to wander the wilderness as long as I get to do it with him? Am I okay to be in the wilderness and to not have my hopes met? Am I okay if I wander the wilderness and my expectations and my, my dreams and my hopes about what my life was supposed to look like and what my life really is? Am I okay with not having those expectations met? Am I okay if I don't have the healing? Am I okay if I don't have the approval or the comfort or the life that I thought I was going to have, am I okay if I don't have those things if it means I can be in the wilderness with God himself? And being in the wilderness 
exposes what we truly love. Because every day we have to make the choice, will we treasure God, will we love him, or will we treasure and love his stuff? Especially if you're here today and you're walking through a season of being in the wilderness, what is, what is essential, what is true, is that you need the community of the church. You need the community of God's people as you go on your wilderness journey. What we need in those moments is for there to be people in our lives, to be relationships where we are deeply connected with people who will speak the message of the gospel to us, who will remind us of what is true about who God is, who will remind us of what is true about us if we are in Christ. What we need is people who will be strong for us when we can't be strong for ourselves. And friends, if you are going through a wilderness experience and you don't have relationships like that in your life, you may not make it through the wilderness. So the wilderness, being in the desert, being in the the barren wasteland of difficult, hard, discouraging, tragic circumstances, it, it it has the power to expose what is it we truly love? Are we okay? Is God enough for us? Is he enough or am I only going to be happy if I have a change in my circumstances? Is he enough or am I only going to be happy if I can have this or if I can have that or if I can have the other thing? Is he enough for me? That's what the wilderness forces us to do. It exposes within us what it is that we truly love. But the wilderness, secondly, what we see here is the wilderness reveals the character of God and the goodness of his instruction. So it exposes inside of us what we truly love But then also it reveals something to us about the character of God and the goodness of his instruction. So we see first here that that it exposes, it, it shows us, it reveals for us the character of who God is. And one of the primary things we see about the nature of God in this passage is that he is our gracious provider. And and the graciousness of his provision is seen all the more uh, sort of starkly in the face of the continual willful disobedience of the people. The people's hearts are not inclined to love God. They're not obedient to him. They don't love him. They're they're unfaithful to him. And yet in spite of all of that, God continues to miraculously provide them everything that they need in the middle of the wilderness. So verse four, after the people have grumbled and complained and have said basically, we would rather be in Egypt than here. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. That word instructions there is the Hebrew word Torah. To see whether they will obey my law. (laughs) On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in, and it is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then we're told in verse 14 that the very next morning, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So in spite of, in the face of the disobedience and the stubbornness and the hard-heartedness of the people of Israel, God continues to miraculously provide for his people. Now, the two instructions God gives his people are, you're to go out every single day and gather fresh food. You can't keep it overnight or else it'll spoil or else it'll go bad. And then on the 
Sixth day, you're to take in twice as much, and it will sustain you through the Sabbath day. So God will preserve that food so it doesn't spoil during the Sabbath day so there's enough food for you. But this, this instruction that God gives his people for go out every single day and, and collect food. This instruction places God's people every single day back in the same set of circumstances that caused their grumbling in the first place. Every single day, if they followed the Lord's instructions to only gather what you need for one day, what it does is it continually puts the people back in a place of vulnerability. In a very good way, it it forces them to be dependent upon God as their provider because they can't gather up, they can't store a bunch of food and, and, and stockpile it for a later time in case God doesn't supply us, in case God doesn't come through. Every single day, they are, they're, they're faced with their own neediness, with their own desperate condition apart from the provision of God. They're faced with that neediness every single day. That's the first thing they experience. They wake up, they go out to collect food, and they realize we're so needy. If God doesn't show up, if God doesn't provide, we have nothing. So every single day they're forced to come face to face with their own neediness, but then also the provision of God, where God every single day miraculously continues time and time again to provide food for his people. And so every single day when the people wake up and go out to collect their food, it's an experience, it's an invitation, it's an opportunity to trust God to be what he has said he will be for us. It's an opportunity to trust God to be the provider that he has said he will be for us. And so will the people trust him? Will they only gather what they need for that one day or will they try and play God and gather a bunch more food? So every single day they're put back in this position where they recognize their own neediness as well as the abundant and gracious and patient provision of God. So that's what we see, something of of the character of God. And there's lots else we could say from this passage about God's character, but I think that's that's one of the, the, the main things to highlight is that God is our gracious provider. But then what we see about God's instruction, we see the goodness of God's instruction, that his instruction is always for our good. Everything that God commands is for our good. God, by giving us his instruction, I think we sort of have a negative connotation automatically if we think of the word law. No one ever thinks like, oh, the law is great, (laughs) right? So the instruction that God gives us is always for our good. It does not limit our freedom. It doesn't limit our joy. It doesn't uh, squash the good things in our life. It's not punishment. It's not designed to be uh, something that we grit our teeth and bear through because it's awful. The instruction of God is given to us for our good and for our enjoyment. And when we live life within those boundaries that God has provided for us, The Bible says we will truly thrive and we will truly flourish only when we follow God's instruction because God's instruction is good for us. Now remember, the the very next stop, the next major place that God's people are headed in the wilderness is to Mount Sinai where God is going to give his people his covenant's instruction. And so as, as God's people are in this moment in the desert, one of the things that God is doing is he is preparing his people. He's preparing them so that when they show up at Sinai, they have a sort of spiritual muscle memory of trust. Because they've seen every single day we go out, we are needy. Every single day when we follow God's instruction, he provides for us. It goes well for us. 
And so when they come to receive his instruction at Mount Sinai, they should have this sort of impulse of, well, yeah, we'll believe it. Yes, we trust it because we've look, we can look back just over the past months and we can see how God has faithfully, continually provided for us over and over and over and over and over again. And so God is training his people for that moment when they get to Mount Sinai and they receive his covenant instruction. And they've been trained by following God's instruction in these moments in the wilderness. It's preparing them for that moment when they get to Mount Sinai. The instruction of God is always for our good. And one of the sort of specific nuances of it in this passage, I think, is that it's, it's always for our good, even if it seems counterintuitive. So just think of that there's two ways that this is counterintuitive, what God instructs his people. Okay, you're to go out every single day and you are to gather only what you need. Now, first of all, this is a largely agrarian group of people. And there's almost nothing that you go out and harvest every single day. You plant and water and it grows and you harvest and then you store it and use it over time until the next harvest season comes around. But God says, I'm going to have you go harvest every single day. So that's somewhat counterintuitive. And in addition to that, these are, these are people who are in the middle of the desert. Okay? They, they can't stop over at Cub or Aldi or Target and pick up whatever supplies they need because they don't have them. They're in the middle of the, the wilderness. They're living a subsistence level, day-to-day life. And God says, don't take more than you need. And there's actually a story later in chapter 16 about somebody who disobeys this. They gather more than they needed, and then by the next day it rots. And so what that tells us is that every single day there was more food out there for the people than they needed. And so imagine yourself living in the desert, not knowing, apart from the provision of God, where your next meal is going to come from, and God tells you, leave food on the ground and let it spoil. Don't take as much as you could take. That doesn't make any sense. That's so counterintuitive for people who are wandering through the middle of the desert. And God says, if you follow my instruction, as counterintuitive as it may feel to you because of your circumstances, I will provide for you. And likewise, he says, go out on the sixth day. And then on that sixth day, you can gather twice as much because I'm going to preserve that food throughout the Sabbath day. And when you're in the desert, you're not only to only take as much as you need, you are to take a day off. And as you take that day off, as you choose to Sabbath, which is built into the order of creation, that you would take a day and you would practice not being God. You would take a day to practice not being your own provider. That's what the Sabbath is about. And God is saying to his people, I will provide for you if you follow my instructions. It may seem counterintuitive, but every single thing I have commanded you is for your good. And so in this way, by giving God, giving the people his instruction and by uh, training them in this way, he's preparing them for the moment when they receive his instruction to Mount Sinai and they can receive it with joy because they know that when they follow his instruction, it is always for their good. And so as we look at this passage and as we see the gracious provision of God and as we see how every single thing that he has commanded us is for our good and it's for our joy, it's for our flourishing, when, we're, when we put these pieces together, 
what it means is this. We can trust him with our wilderness. When we experience the lowest of the low, the valley of the shadow of death, when we experience those moments in the wilderness, we can trust him. Because we can look at this passage and we can look at the rest of scripture and see that God has provided for our needs. We can trust him because he's proven how committed he is to our good. God's people in the wilderness are disobedient and yet God is unreasonably patient with them. There ain't none of us who would do the same thing God did if we were in his place. And if you have kids, know what I'm talking about. But God has demonstrated, he has proven how committed he is to his people. He has been unwaveringly, unreasonably faithful to his people in spite of their disobedience. And he's provided for their needs. And we see that God has provided not just for their needs, but then as the story of scripture continues, we see how ultimately uh, the Bible leads us forward towards the New Testament, where God has provided not just material, not just physically, although that's important. It's essential for us to have food and water, and yet God has provided a nourishment for us that is far deeper and far more uh, substantial for us than the physical nourishment that we receive in food and water. We see that God has given us his very son. We see that the second person of the Trinity, we see God himself has taken on human flesh and has accompanied us in our humanity. And we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he spent a season of testing He spent a season of training in the wilderness and he went without food or water for 40 days and 40 nights. And the evil one comes to him and says, Jesus, I know you're hungry. I can hear your stomach rumbling. Why don't you just turn those stones over there into bread? And while he was in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted with this. Will I trust the Father or will I do what's Will I do what's right in my own eyes? Will I do what will make me right now experientially happy or will I trust God? And we see that Jesus, in all the ways that the Israelite people failed in the wilderness, Jesus was victorious. Jesus was the embodiment of everything that Israel was supposed to be and never could be. And we see also throughout the ministry of Jesus that he, like God in the Old Testament, He makes miraculous provision of food for multitudes. We see on more than one occasion, there's there's 5,000 plus people and he makes this provision with these couple little fish and couple little loaves of bread. He makes provision for the multitudes. We see Jesus in the book of John communicating that he is the living water. He is the bread of life. So those, those very essential things that we need for our everyday lives We will wither and die if we don't have those essential things. And Jesus is saying, I am to you something more essential than water or bread even is to your physical body. You will spiritually, your soul will wither and die if you don't have me. And so in the person of Jesus, we see God making the provision that all the food and the water and the ways that God provided for his people in the Old Testament, it all anticipated it all sort of pointed forward to it and left us waiting for, okay, yeah, they get, you know, their thirst is satisfied and their hunger is satisfied, but then they just what? They get hungry again. 
And that's the same exact thing. When, when God provides for our needs, it just leaves us 24 hours later in the same exact position where we're still hungry. We're hungry again. We're thirsty again. And so it leaves us anticipating something better that God provides for us than just physical food, than just physical water. It's essential that we have it, and God doesn't neglect that. He provides the food, he provides the water, but he provides something better. He gives us his son, who is the living water. He gives us his son, who is the bread of life. And it's Jesus who accompanied us in our humanity, and he lived the life that we should have lived, but didn't live, and he died the death that we ought to have died, in our place, so that when we trust in him, we are reunited in relationship with our heavenly father, which is the very thing, that is the the, the heart need, that is the greater need, that is more more deep, more desperate than any other need we would have for food or water. And in the person of Jesus, God meets those most desperate needs that we have. And so what it means when we look at the cross, and as we look at the cross from even our wilderness seasons, what it means is we can trust him. Because we've seen that in Jesus, he has already provided us with the thing that our hearts most desperately need. He's already provided it. And so in the middle of the wilderness, we can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. It's not enjoyable. It's not fun. This is hard. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And yet I can trust you because I've seen that you're faithful. You've proven it in the cross of Jesus. And so I can trust you. As we sort of walk out these wilderness moments, uh, got just a couple takeaways. Uh, one of these takeaways is for those of you who are experiencing seasons of wilderness right now. And one of them is for those of you who are not experiencing seasons of wilderness. For some of you here today, you are in the midst of a season or a moment of wilderness. And my encouragement to you is, is you have to find ways to let people in. I know that it's hard. I know that it's challenging. It can be somewhat embarrassing or shameful. But you need to find ways to let people in. There's a kind of vulnerability that you have to have if you are going to make it through to the other side of the wilderness. And so you have to be vulnerable. But secondly, for those of you who are not experiencing the wilderness right now, My encouragement to you is enter into the wilderness of somebody else. It would be shocking if every single one of us in this room didn't have somebody in our lives who's currently going through a wilderness season. And so enter into the wilderness of others and be the encouragement and be the support. Serve them and love them and remind them of who God is. Remind them of who they are in him and encourage them and walk alongside of them in the midst of their wilderness journey. Friends, we get to do this together. Every single one of us has either been in or is currently in or will be in a season of wilderness. But the good news is that we can trust him even in those moments. And the proof of that is, is at the table. When we come to the Lord's table to uh, receive communion, what we receive is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, which reminds us that as difficult and as tragic and as hard and as discouraging as our circumstances may be, 
we can say with confidence, we know that God loves us. We know that God cares for us. We know that God has our best interest in mind because he's already proven it. He's already given us his son. And so we can face those wilderness seasons in a new way when we recognize the grace of God that is given to us at the table. He gave up his body for us and in him we experience the deep soul nourishment that we truly need. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite you to just take a few moments of quiet reflection and confession before we come forward. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed. We've sinned against you by the things that we have done as well as the things that we have left undone. We confess, Lord, that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We pray, Lord, that in your mercy that you would forgive what we have been, that you would help us amend what we are, and that you would direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, that we may walk in your instruction to the glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, amen.